1: Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. I have the good fortune to be joined by the inventor of the infomercial and the original shark on Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington. Kevin, thanks so much for joining
2: us. Hey, Seth. Great to be here today. I appreciate it. Looking forward to a nice, uh, nice interview. We've got a special guest today.
1: We do. We have the honor of interviewing Todd Herman, who is a performance and advisor and coach for professional athletes, thought leaders, and public figures. Todd, I, and I know we're going to talk about Todd's new book that's coming out. Todd, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Well, it's great to be on a panel with some legends here, so thanks for having me. <laughs> well,
1: let's, what does performance advisor and coach mean to our laypeople? Well,
3: I mean, uh, most people are always so focused on the doing of stuff, you know, like so in the context of say professionals, they're always talking about things like productivity, and I want to, you know, do more or do things more efficiently. Um, And the reality is when uh, you take a look at the fundamentals of what truly high performing people or the elite people that have produced some phenomenal results, what they focus on is it's the six inches between the ears. They have a mindset. They have a way of thinking about things or they're just way better at developing the clarity of focus of knowing what they want to go do. I know so many leaders who have got messy desks who don't have their calendars all planned out. Like is the prescription for most people that are productive or productive quote unquote um, And, and so, well, why is that? Well, my job is to help people develop the mindset to win. So I work with people on mental game strategies. Um, I just wrote a book about, you know, the stuff that I've worked with pro athletes on for the last 17 years. And, um, yeah, so I, I dive into the hard stuff, the six inches between Mm -hmm. ears.
2: Hey Todd. So now that's what many of these athletes and business people need, Mm -hmm. um, One of the things when I, when I first heard about your services, I was thinking you potentially also help them maybe position themselves to get more, you know, projects or deals. Do you get into the deal side of athletes or is it primarily that what goes between their their ears?
3: I've actually, I've actually stayed away from that side of it. I mean, I have, I have made connections happen or whatever, but, um, there's an entire industry and a business around where, where agents go and sit there. And if ah. I tried to do that myself, it would probably muddy my brand in that marketplace. People, ah. then you know, it's, it's that classic case of, well, what do you do then? Like, I, I didn't realize you did that as well. And so I've really stayed in that lane. And it's the, it's the lane that I like to stay inside of. But I mean, I've definitely, as an advisor to, to athletes, um, and, I've, and I've stayed very, very strict around the fact that I never share who I work with. Um, right. and, and Kevin, you, you've we we would have mutual friends even in the in the pro athlete space. Um, what's the one thing that they don't have? It's trust. Everyone right. wants something from them, and so because I'm dealing with the sensitive stuff of like, you know, I really want to know like how much do you actually believe in your skill set? Like how much do you actually believe that you're the best person on your team? Because reality is, in pro athletics. Most of them don't think that way, and I wanna. I need to know that, and the only way they're gonna feel safe to tell me that stuff is if I promise to never ever disclose who I work with. Right.
2: Um, Gotcha. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, when when you, it's got to be a challenge as you talk to some of these athletes, even getting them to admit that they need your services. How how do you get over that part of the of the equation? Okay.
3: well, Kevin, in business, I was never as smart as you were starting out. <laughs> um, so oh, I, I got into what I was, what I've been doing now since 1997, and so mental game coaches, which is kind of what I wow. called myself early on, was not a thing. I mean. I, I mean, there were there were definitely guys that were out there, but they were all typically in the individual sports spaces, and which is which are always the earlier adopters. Like skiing had sports psychologists on staff in the 1980s. Tennis players started developing them, but in team sports, it wasn't very popular. So, okay. to your point, um, it wasn't popular when I started doing it. Um, however, in about 2003 was probably the big switching point in. Uh, team sports where mm-hmm. all the athletes were showing up for their um, spring camps or their you know football would be the the summer camps and they would be doing their beep tests and they'd be doing their strength tests and all that kind of stuff and what you saw was everyone equalized out everyone could pretty much do the same bench everyone could run the same speed you know and so why is that well because for six years before that everyone had a strength coach a speed coach a skill coach and 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 then the really good athletes would go, okay, well then what's the next thing? Just like you think that way. Just like, I'm going to think that way. What's right. the next thing that people like I can get out that I can get my advantage again. And so the best of the best were like, well, it's me mastering this inner game stuff. this mental game stuff. And so team sports is always lagging behind individual sports. And and that's when my business really started to take off was in around 2003, where I had major league baseball players reaching out way more NFL, NBA, NHL, which I was already in. But um, yeah, it is it was difficult back then, not as much anymore.
2: What so you it, know, the one sport that sticks out to me, and not because I, I love golf, but yeah, you know that's a mental game. I and know. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, yeah. uh, McElroy won the Players Champion. Just this weekend, he'd been dry for years. And this is a game that takes such mental clarity and and all of that, right? I mean, do you have any golf clients?
3: Tons. Yeah. Um, And you're right. I mean, when you think of a difficult sport, I mean, they're out there competing for, you know, three hours and 45 minutes to up to five hours, depending on the pace of play. Yeah. And you're actually only executing, truly executing your sport. For roughly two minutes, because that's about the length of a swing, right? So a right. length of a swing is about one point four seconds. That's you know, you multiply multiply that <laughs> out by about seventy shots. Right, you to, you're like a minute and a half, right? So the rest of the time, you're left to your own devices in your mind, and that's where you're planning strategy. Okay, so what's the, what's the strategy that I'm going to play for this hole? You know, then you're always dealing with you know other factors, and so few sports operate that way, right? Where there's so much waiting. And I mean, we all know that, most people create a, create a hell from heaven than they do a heaven from hell in their own mind. Um, right. And so absolutely, it's, it's that emotional management system that we're trying to focus on with those athletes. Yeah. And I mean, again, we're talking about athletes right now, but the people that are listening, entrepreneurship, You know, when I think of the people that I work with, because I'm going to go from talking to my athlete and then the very next moment I'm talking to an executive here in New York where I live, New York City here, or an entrepreneur, if there's a group that has way less control Entrepreneurs have way less control than even athletes do, mm. um, and so it's actually it's a far more mental game, I think, in entrepreneurship because there's just way more variables involved. There's so there, many ways to do something.
2: Do do agents refer their clients yeah. over to you then? Because you're 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 going to yeah. help an an agent make more money if you yeah. can position their client to be better positioned for the marketplace, get more money, et cetera,
3: right? Yeah, there's there's basically been three agents that have been pretty solid deal flow for me over the years. Now it's at a level cause I've been doing this for so long and, and you know this Kevin, like um, at the highest levels of business or, or anything you're getting client or, you know, the CEO says to another CEO, you know, like, geez, we're really dealing with a lot of board issues right now. Like there's, there's so much in alignment. Everyone has their own um, uh, you know, strategy or they have their own whatever. And Exactly. Thank you. Agenda. And the guy goes, Oh, you should talk to so-and-so they came and helped us on our board. That's how it all happens. And same thing with the athletes. They're sitting next to each other in the locker room and they're going, geez, the new coach is just riding me. He's like, I'm not getting enough playing time. I'm really starting, you know, they'll talk about their confidence, you know, being lost. And he goes, you got to talk to Todd. You got to talk to my guy. Um, and, and so, yeah, that referral now I've got, and because I'm so private with my clients, like even in my phone, they're all in there as aliases. My wife has only accidentally met one of my clients and that was because she walked by a window in New York city where I was sitting down having dinner with one of them and yeah. she came in and she saw us. And so she sat down for a few minutes and then when I saw her later that night, she was like, who is that really good looking guy that you're with? And I was like, oh, that's one of my clients. And she started doing this jig. She's like, I just met a client, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's fun, that's but I mean, cool. I, this is such a, it's a great challenge. But I mean, I've broken it down into there are some really uh, basic fundamentals that we stick to, but the hard part of it is the discipline for most people, the discipline to stick with something. So, so. That's, that's a perfect segue. So for those of us who aren't professional athletes, yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk
1: a little bit about the book, what prompted sure. you to write it, what's it all about, and how can our viewers and listeners get a copy of it and apply your principles to their own businesses?
3: Yeah. So, um, well, this is, I mean, if you see yellow all behind me here, um, mm-hmm. so, um, about 17 years ago, after I started to, I was in my business now for about five years. I started working with better and better high quality elite athletes. There was this common thread that kept on showing up amongst the ones who were consistently performing at a high level. And they would say things like, you know, when I go out there, I have a different persona when I play, or I step into a character or I have a secret identity that they'll use. Um, and, for me, it was always like, oh, because I played college football at a high level. I was a nationally ranked badminton player as well, which you know, people obviously badminton football, they go perfectly together, right? Um, but uh, I never took myself onto the court or the field. I always stepped into and I always created this alter ego for myself. And so when they would say those things to me, I was like, oh, that's fascinating. I did the same thing. And then after a while, I was like, wait a second. There's a, there's a commonality here of the ones who are performing at the highest level. And so I started unpacking it more and developed this process for how to build an alter ego to help you actually untap the heroic qualities that are already sitting inside of people. Because I don't look at someone, Kevin or Seth, and go, oh, well, that person's broken and I need to fix them. That's never my approach as a coach or advisor. It's always you've got everything that you need right now, but it's buried under the weight of crappy internal narrative, personal trauma for some people is a, you know, puppet string that holds people back, you know um, you know, the worries and the criticisms and, and the judgments of others that people are concerned about, you know, it's that classic idea of you, we don't want to get kicked out of our own tribe. And so all those things hold people back from actually showing up like they can. And so instead of me going and trying to fix you, or change you because change is extremely difficult for people i'm like you know what why don't we custom build a new identity for yourself that you can act through onto the field of play so that all of your skills can get out there untethered from all those strings of resistance. And Hmm. because it's what I did, I mean, I was not a physically gifted human being at six foot four and 240 pounds from the guy. I was six feet, 160 pounds, and I was in high school. But when I went on that football field, I stepped into Geronimo. That was my alter ego. Um, I'm a huge Native American buff. I took Ronnie Lott and Walter Payton as kind of composite parts of that with me out there. Hmm. And that's who I played through. And it hmm. allowed me to play way bigger than my 156 or 60 pound frame. Hmm. Well, that wasn't me faking skills. This is about faking skills. Cause I mean, what I'm trying to do is just get all the skills that you've already got, you know, you know, all of that preparation that you've put in and the new routine that you've built to get out there so that you actually, cause I'm trying to get you into zone and flow state and an hmm. alter ego has a fantastic ability to help people get into the zone and flow. state. Yeah.
2: Does this right? work? also for then entrepreneurs is that the alter ego concept Yeah,
3: absolutely because you
2: need to think about i mean
3: we're all performing like you know you might not be under the white hot light of uh you know a stadium or whatever but performance is getting a result right and in business there's many things that we're all challenged to do that are not part of our core competencies or you know Business moves at such a fast speed, especially nowadays that we're, that we're constantly developing new skills for ourselves, which is bringing us out of a comfort zone. And anytime you're out of comfort zone, that's a natural spot for all of us to like doubt ourselves or lack the confidence or not show up like we could, or we beat ourselves up when we put our head on the pillow at night and go, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I close the deal when the guy was obviously interested in what I had, but I was concerned about making sure I went through the entire presentation or whatever, So, or when you get on stage, Kevin, you are one hundred percent elevating and magnifying other parts of your personality to get your message out there. I mean, we all have to act a little bit bigger when we're on stage so that we can fill up that space, right? That's not you being fake. That's not you. That's being that's you being very intentional about the you that you're bringing to that situation to get the best results for yourself and the people that are listening to you, right? That's natural. We all understand that. And so what I'm simply saying is, is a, an alter ego is a natural part of the human psyche. Every single human being has used this. We've done it when we were kids, when we tried to pretend to jump off of the sofa with the the Batman cape on to see how far we could jump. Or when you go out into the front driveway and you're, you know, shooting hoops, like you're LeBron or hitting the the puck, like you're Wayne Gretzky or whoever it might be You're what you're doing is you're asking yourself, what could I do if I was this person? It's a natural part. It's us tapping into our creative imagination, right? And then we start walking away from it. So the alter ego is really natural and especially powerful for entrepreneurs to do because what it does is it silos your identity. Instead of you saying, I am only an entrepreneur, which is very dangerous to the self, you're actually saying, you know, as an entrepreneur, this is who I want to be. And you know what? Right now, I've got some like, insecurities about the way that I'm showing up as a leader. Maybe you've developed yourself now. You've got five people working for you and this leadership role is new to you and you're failing at it somewhat happened to me. I wasn't good at delegating, but you know what? If I go, geez, who would, who would I be if I was a phenomenal leader in my business? You know, is there someone that you're inspired by? And then, you know what, when I'm having those leadership conversations, I'm going to leave that kind of self that, is insecure about my skills and I'm going to step in and through being, you know, insert whoever it is that you are inspired by as yep. a leader.
2: Yeah, I remember 25 years ago I was I had a meeting I was flying over to Saudi Arabia to meet with the Sheikh, Sheikh Saleh Camel. Yep. He had he owned all the TV networks in the Middle East. And so um, this was a very powerful meeting but I was very intimidated prior to going into the meeting and so um, I had to put my mind into being able to really rocket myself into a, a very powerful presentation to the Sheikh. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of put myself on his level to, to be able to say, hey, like, I, I'm here, you know, to decide which uh, which person I want to be doing business with. You are one of your competitors, and it and it turned around to where he had to sell me on the whole concept from there. So, yeah, um, it was very. Uh, come on in. Thank you. Put it right over. I got someone at the front door here. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, so anyway, it was it it was by doing that that I was able to um, to make a, um, a you know a, a turn of events and turn the tide that he was then pitching me. Sure. on why we should be doing business. So, sort of yeah. an alter ego kind of a thing. I never called it that, but yeah. it's, I, I got you completely how it all comes together.
3: Well, and I mean, what... What I've given voice to with this, because the moment someone sees the cover or heard me talk about it, they go, oh my God, I feel like I've been, I've used this in parts of my life. And I go, yeah, I know you have. And so what I'm trying to do is normalize it and say, no, this is a very normal way that we as human beings can get past the initial force of resistance and get momentum going for ourselves. Because in business, in sport, I mean, in sport, the most dangerous thing an opposition can have is momentum because momentum begets confidence mm. and confidence then begets the most dangerous thing that anybody could have, which is certainty. If you're a competitor right. because certainty becomes a DNA base. It's when you know that you can now compete against the athlete. That's, you know, ranked 30 spots ahead of you. And you're like, Oh, I'm on the same level. It's like, look out. Cause that's what the guy, I mean, that's what we use when you're ranked number one. I mean, that's what Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods greatest, um, uh, superpower. Was actually the lack of psychology that everyone else had, right? Because mm. the moment that they saw that they were paired with Tiger on Sunday, that's what Tiger wanted. Tiger mm. wanted that—the intimidation factor, right? right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, this is—it's such a common thing. And you know, so then what I did was I just built built out this really powerful methodology. And you know what? You know, I think the people who do others a great disservice in the self help world are the ones who try to invent new things. That run counter to what, how the mind actually works. All I'm doing is I'm flicking natural psychological switches that you've already got built inside of you that just greases the slide towards the action that you want to take, you know, like on the cover of the book, I'm uh, which I'm holding up if you're watching the yeah. video or realist- is a pair of glasses. And, you know, people who know me know that I wear glasses for dress. I actually don't really need glasses. Um, and when I first started a business, I wore glasses because I felt like I looked like I was 12 and I wanted to. Um, and I was so insecure about how young I looked and who was going to believe me um, when I stood up there and talked about mental game stuff. So I went out and I bought a pair of glasses to activate this more intellectual self. So yeah. I called it my reverse Superman. Yeah. People, Those glasses aren't like, you know honoring me and my idea. They're not honoring Superman and Clark Kent. Those are actually a replica of Martin Luther King's glasses. Mm. Martin Luther King wore a pair of non-prescription glasses as well or he called mm. them his fake glasses because he felt like he was doing such an important, he's carrying such an important mission forward. So he went out and got a pair of non-prescription glasses and he put them on when he was doing his writing to step into what he called his distinguished self. That was his distinguished self alter ego ah. so that he could write the words he most wanted to say to inspire a group of people to take non nonviolent action. Right. Um, and I, you know, even in the book I share about Winston Churchill, he would stand in front of his wall of hats and he would ask himself the question, which self should I be today? So yeah. you know, great leaders have used this fantastic ability of creating context for themselves and being very intentional about how they want to show up, and um, it's it's such a powerful mindset tool to help people just do the natural heart things that I know people come to you for. So
2: amazing! Hey, um, is there any without naming names? Obviously, yeah. a magical transformation that you that one of your clients. Um, you yeah. know, I had a had a before and after with. Um, sure. You talk to yeah. the event itself.
3: Yeah. Um, so there was a. It's actually in chapter one of the book. I talk about this young guy, Anthony, um, who he was on my email list. This is years ago. Um, and in one passing reference on an email one day, I talked about how I would show up at the Reebok Sports Club here in New York City, and that's where I would work. Um, and it was great because lots of pros came through there, and that's where all the uh, NBA teams came and practiced when they were playing against the Knicks. Anyways, one morning I show up uh, and he lived this young kid lived in down in d c he was fourteen. I showed up at nine a m and there waiting in one of the chairs was this young kid Anthony and he snuck out of his grandmother's house. both of his parents had passed away um, and he caught the four thirty train from d c up to New York um, to meet with me and um, so I mean obviously i'm going to give this young kid time after I made him call his grandmother to let her know where the heck he was um, but uh He was passionate about basketball, but he was allowing himself to play second fiddle against another guy that was on his his team. And he was kind of putting himself on that second rung of the ladder. He's like, despite that, I know that I can play as good as he does, but in the waning moments of the game, I'll pass the ball off to him or the coach will look to him to be the finisher for the team. Um, And I want to be that guy. And so, anyways, we start unpacking this more. And I I talk about how anytime you're building that other identity or you're using someone else to inspire new action for you, you want to emotionally really resonate with that person or that um that animal. Like for Kobe Bryant, it was the black mamba. And I talk about in the book how he came up with the idea of the black mamba, what where that origin story came from. So for Anthony, um, it was uh we, we were unpacking it and I said, you know, like what what inspires you, or um, how do you want to be showing up out there? And he was running through all these different names, and then he's like, "Oh, I just saw this documentary on the the Black Panther. Have, do you know much about the Black Panther?" And I said, "No, I don't really know that much." And he's like, "You know what its nickname is? It's called the Ghost of the Forest." And 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 I said, "Wow, Anthony the Ghost. That's your that could be yours." And so, but what he took it to another level was he said yes and i'm going to haunt everybody on the court with my skills but i am bringing my mom and my dad with me out there because they're passed away in a tragic car accident and and that was the now cuz you you don't want to dishonor the idea of the alter ego ever like when i'm wearing those glasses and i'm stepping into superman or super richard there's not a chance in hell, I'm going to dishonor that memory. And he's not going to dishonor Anthony, the ghost on that, on that court. And he did. He's now, he plays in the NBA. Now he had a full ride college scholarship. This is a long time ago, full ride college scholarship, but transformed who he was in a moment. That's what I love about it.
2: Love
1: it. That is an absolutely incredible story. Todd, I know your time is valuable and we're just about to wrap up. Where can our listeners
3: and viewers go to get a copy of your book? Well, if they just go to alter ego all the links to all the different uh, retail channels are out there. It's in airport bookstores, Barnes and Noble Indigo, if you're in Canada, um, Amazon, of course. So just look for the bright yellow book with a pair of glasses on it. Awesome. Alter all ego, right. Todd Herman. Thank you so much for joining us. Gents. You guys are champs. Thank I mean,
2: you, Todd. Good luck, buddy. Nice. Thanks. Love, Loved our conversation today. I look forward to touching base soon. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye.